Welcome to WNXS News Chat. Uh, with me is Hiromi Kota. Hiromi, thank you so much for sitting down and speaking with me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to get to talk with folks and uh, try to share uh, background information. For our listeners who might be unfamiliar with you, could you please tell us a little bit about who you are and what your role involving magic is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I am a freelance uh, game developer slash writer slash cultural consultant. And for Magic, uh, my purpose was as a Japanese cultural consultant. Uh, like my, my background there is that uh, I am, among other things, uh, Japanese American. Like I was, ra- like I, I was raised with uh, um, what the hell? Uh, Japanese building blocks, like as like a toy, like as toys for like, <laughs> kids. You know how like usually there's like the English alphabet. Right. Uh, mine were in Japanese. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and I was, uh, yeah, yeah, I was partially raised uh, in uh, Japan. I grew up there in uh, Okinawa um, because my, my family uh, is specifically uh, Ryukyuan. So, like, a separate ethnic group from what most people consider Japanese. Like, uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, Japan isn't a um, monoethnic uh, uh, population. There's there's like at least three major categories, depending on how you want to split things. Um, and my my family is part of the Ryukyuans, which includes uh, Okinawa, which is probably the most famous of them. Uh, so I <laughs> oh, and then I also studied. I also studied uh, uh, Japan and Japanese uh, in university, so fair amount of uh, varied background uh, for <laughs> Japanese culture, which let me get into uh, all of the weird things that people don't think about uh, within Japanese culture and like how you that can be represented. Uh, through uh, the game and through uh, the fiction that accompanied uh, the release of Kamigawa. All right. Uh, Speaking of your involvement with the Kamigawa set, um, how did your, how did Wizards reach out to you to get you on board with your role? Uh, So they had already been in contact uh, with a, James Mendez uh like he he was uh, he already had a prior relationship with Wizards, I believe, and uh, when they asked him if uh, he, he knew anybody who would be a good Japanese consultant, uh, Mendez and I had already worked on other projects, so uh, we were familiar with each other. And he's like, "Yeah, that <laughs> go go get Hiromi," <laughs> and. Uh, a bunch of emails and NDAs later, uh, I've worked on, I want to say nine contracts with, uh, wizards. Um, most of which were specifically for Kamigawa, but like different phases and different uh, aspects mm-hmm. of it. Well, that leads me to my next question, actually. Um, when the, when you were contracted to work with the new Kamigawa set, um, 
Was your mm. role more alongside of it as it developed from start to finish? Was it more beginning, middle, end, or? Uh, I would say that I probably got into it um, late in the early part portion. Like uh, the the world guide was mostly together before uh, I got on board, but like there were there were tweaks to uh, how the world guide would would apply to the set uh, that I I helped with as well as um naming the characters and uh focusing in on like details that uh needed to be tweaked or uh adjusted to make sense within the context okay so uh i want to say i want to say that i got on board uh with uh this set almost almost two years ago so it's been a long time coming for me <laughs> <laughs> uh well i can i can say firsthand a lot of players have been waiting for this set to make a return <laughs> so <laughs> speaking of the set taking a while to return one of the many magic employees or designers including mark rosewater himself have gone on record as saying that one of the bigger reasons that it took us so long to come back to kamigawa was the failure of the first design team to properly adapt or represent Japanese culture within the set um, through all sorts of things that you and the rest of the diversity team had to address. But on the flip Mm -hmm. side of it, the plane also has a rich backstory and it's kind of a cult classic of magic sets or magic planes (laughs) amongst the uh, players. (laughs) How difficult was it for you all to strike the balance between getting the representation where it should be this time around with also, but also keeping what made it really click for the players it clicked for? Uh, so I think a lot of that speaks to uh, what aspects of Japanese culture uh, have kind of become famous and uh, associated uh, with Japan. Uh mainly through the transmission of media. Uh, so think like obvious bits like uh, uh, anime and manga uh, ended up <laughs> like just sort of going around the world and are available in just like tons of different languages at this point. Uh, and because of that uh, specific anime and uh, manga uh, genres uh, like uh, shonen and jojo and uh, like fighting uh, like those have have kind of become, I hesitate to say well known, but well known within certain <laughs> communities. Uh, <laughs> and like those are aspects of Japanese culture. They're not like the totality of it. They're not um, everything that is Japan, but they are reflections of Japanese culture. And because of that, like those are the those are kind of like the highlights, the people that like they're the things that people are interested in and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love Japanese culture because I love this. <laughs> and that's not exactly the same thing as loving all of Japanese culture, but right. it gives a place to start working from. 
Uh, and uh, what one of one of the things that people love about Japan and even within Japan are are ninja. So like, <laughs> uh, uh, I, like even as a kid in Japan, uh, there, uh, were like, uh, not, not just, uh, anime and manga, but like also just like, uh, books aimed at kids, mm. like m- mainly, mainly pictures, but like not, I don't want to say picture books because I'm talking about, um, things that were essentially like about a hundred pages or so. <laughs> <laughs> with like uh, photographs of this is what a ninja is like. And like, I remember reading them as a kid and going, ninjas are awesome. And like, I, I, I was Japanese American kid living in Japan, reading a Japanese book. It's about ninja. So I'm like, y- y- you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to not. <laughs> uh, uh, likewise, uh, samurai are also a perennial favorite um and again this this is reflected within japan like um uh a genre of period film uh in uh, japanese culture is uh chambara uh which is just basically anywhere mainly uh senegoku (laughs) era but like it anywhere that the uh Samurai were prevalent, uh, so like mm-hmm. mainly Sengoku and uh, Edo Jidai. Uh, like, there's constant uh, demand for uh, new and cool uh, samurai uh, representation, mm-hmm. uh, and like some some of it, even in Japan, is accurate, and some of it's not so historically accurate. Um, the the West has a similar issue with um, cowboys. For for right. whatever reason, westerns uh, got really popular in the West, and they rarely represent the actual <laughs> life of cowboys. Like <laughs> something like sixty to seventy percent of the entire cowboy population was. Uh, uh, black or brown and it's hard to find a cowboy movie with any black or brown people in them so it's like it cultural representation in media is a really weird thing um and so to kind of pull it back to uh magic in this regard uh the designers uh and uh those of us on the cultural consultancies team like there, there were a lot of influences, a lot of representations uh, that we had available just because it's part of the, uh, the culture, the uh, sort of uh, cultural literacy of uh, Japan and Japanese culture uh, with and uh, outside the uh, di- diaspora. So mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of a matter of going, okay, well what's cool and what's authentic and that's and how how can we take things that are cool but not necessarily authentic and then make them more authentic uh and that was mainly on mendez's side uh because he he has a uh much more thorough education 
in uh, the Sengoku and uh, Edo Jidai, uh, sorry, uh, warring states period and uh, the uh, Shogunate era. Uh, my my weird uh, Japanese history focus is <laughs> on like uh, the Meiji Restoration and just after uh, basically Imperial Japan because uh, Imperial Japan had a huge impact on uh, the Okinawan people that uh, I probably don't need to get into right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, enough. that's a conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sort of in the same vein as far as the balance goes and where you were talking about just now, what's cool versus what's, you know, accurate or authentic. Were there any areas, mm -hmm. looking back on it, that... Uh, you wish that you all had been able to hand not handle better, but represent a little bit more or put a little bit more emphasis on that you weren't able to on your run through the set. Um, I haven't gotten like deep into the set, uh, just yet. Uh, like I've, I played a game of uh, commander, uh, last week uh, but like my, uh, my comps from wizards haven't arrived yet. So I haven't like gotten to get a real, uh, hands-on for the full set, but like so far with, uh, the cards that I've seen, uh, and the fiction that's come out, which I, I'm pretty sure that I've, I had reviewed all of the fiction ahead of time and like, uh, suggested changes. Um, for the most part, I'm pretty pleased with how everything's turned out. Uh, like there was one bit where I, I thought that, uh, um, spo spoilers to, uh, anyone who's not complete with the fiction. <laughs> uh, but I thought that the choice to make uh light pause, uh, the regent instead of the next emperor was kind of weird. Uh, but that, that had less to do with culture and more to do with the Kamigawa just had a, a period of strife for like 10 ish years because the emperor wasn't around. So yeah. Wh why not just solve that problem permanently instead of just sort of kicking it down the road and saying, well, Light pauses Emperor Regent now, and maybe the Emperor comes back, and maybe not. So, like, <laughs> that, yeah, for me, that that was just like a suggestion that uh, I made, uh, and like, it the the idea to have Light Pause as Regent, it makes sense, but like, I understand. I understand why they did it. I disagree, but it's not my job to make uh, that kind of decision <laughs> uh, because like it, because declaring regents that eventually uh, stop being regents because the emperor uh, comes back or comes of age, uh, which is historically more likely what happens. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a thing that happens. Like that's, that is historically attested within Japanese culture, like mm, probably at least a dozen times. Like it's, it's culturally valid. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that was really like the only thing that I've run across so far that I've been like, 
eh. Because, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's me talking from a uh, a fiction writer perspective as opposed to, like, a cultural consultant. Like, culturally, right. it's valid. Uh, and like everything else, I've been pretty pleased with. Um, like, uh, this wasn't even something that I had brought up, but uh, in... Um, uh, one of the things like in uh, episode three of the main fiction storyline uh, is that the the author pointed out that the Nezumi, the the rat people, are are marginalized people. Like they're they're not treated with the same level of respect. They don't have the same access to anything, uh, and they're forced into respectability politics where uh they're a marginalized group and they have to act more polite than everyone else in order to get heard uh and sort of like seeing the pushback uh for that when um uh kaito went to a village uh was that was great like i i didn't ask for that like that was in place before my my review and i'm like that's an amazing detail and I, I would like more people to realize that, like, not everyone is necessarily equal within the fictional universe. And if they're not equal, that has consequences, uh, whether or not those consequences get delved into in, in canon uh, is kind of the, the dividing line between do the writers and creators care about marginalized people or do they just kind of forget that we exist? <laughs> that is a very good point. Something that um, a lot of people just don't really think about while reading stories like that. Uh, I found you through your Twitter thread about your work with the, with the set and in that thread, you mentioned mm -hmm. using specific, and I apologize in advance for how I say these next words because I'm almost positive I'm wrong, specific kanji and katakana in a lot of the card names, like uh, Goro Goro, for example. Um, mm -hmm. And you did that with intent. Could you, for anyone who might not have seen your Twitter thread or, you know, Twitter has character limit, can you elaborate on what the process was involving that and what led you to want to do that? Um, I think like my main motivation or rather, I guess my main two motivations uh, were that um, for, for me uh, and I think for a lot of people uh, who live somewhere where their name is not common mm. uh, names are important and often carry uh, meaning beyond uh, a surface level. Uh, and like, this is true in any culture. Like it's really hard to find a name that doesn't have meaning behind it. Even if like the people of that culture are aware of it or not, like um, most people are aware that like the, the English la last name Baker means baker like someone who mm -hmm. makes bread and whatnot but like there's also names like um cooper or fletcher which is like barrel making and arrow making like these these are uh profession 
like professional last names that have just sort of become normalized through culture. Um, and uh, Japanese uh, relies on um, essentially two kinds of systems for writing things down. Uh, there's kanji, which are taken uh, from Chinese and kind of adapted. Uh, and then there's the kana, uh, which are like hiragana, uh, which is mainly for uh, native Japanese words. And then katakana, which is mainly for uh, loan words. So like words that uh, came to Japan from another culture. Um, and so katakana and hiragana don't carry intrinsic meaning. Uh, it's strictly a uh, phonetic representation system. It's a uh, slabbery. Well, kind of a slabbery. Uh, that's that's a linguistics topic that I also don't need to get into. I know too much to be helpful <laughs> by explaining the whole thing. Um, with with kanji, um, they they carry a kind of ambiguous pronunciation because. Uh, all, all of all kanji came from China, but those words already had names uh, and uh, pronunciations in Japanese. So there's a lot of kanji where there's a Chinese reading and then there's a Japanese reading. And depending on how long the words existed in Japanese and like um, how it's sort of been used, it can have many more than two pronunciations. Um, but they'll still have like an idea behind them and that, that sort of am ambiguity in pronunciation means that coming up with names can be a creative process. Uh, it's not always, uh, there, there are many, uh, Japanese names that have like a, fairly regularized uh, way of spelling them, like uh, writing uh, Tanaka. You're, you're almost always going to see the same two characters. Uh, it's, it's a very common last name. There aren't tons of common ways to write them. Um, and like my, my first name, uh, Hiromi, uh, the, the, the kanji that my parents gave me are not common. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a common way to write it. Um, but like there's probably over a dozen, at least like at least a dozen ways to like write my name that are attested. Like people have seen them. Uh, they, they might not go, Oh yeah. Hiromi, no problem. But like it's, it's within sort of like the, the realm of understanding. And be, mm -hmm. because of that, because there's this uh, chunk of uh, ambiguity in like how names uh, get written uh, in kanji, uh, there's space for me to go, okay, this character has this kind of personality or they have this kind of uh, mechanic. So I should think about using uh, this kanji. Uh, so um, uh, for example, in uh, uh, Junji, uh, the, uh, the black dragon spirit, 
it's it's a black dragon with a death mechanic. It's <laughs> kind of about sacrifice in a way. Like it's not ob- obliged to uh, be a sacrificial card in the battlefield, but that's always available. So I felt that the character for martyrdom was particularly apt. And then I started working from there. Uh, and uh, Junji is a pretty common uh, first name. So I'm like, and uh, Jun there is, the, the kanji that I used is for martyrdom. Uh, and fantastically, the uh, uh, my counterpart on the Japanese translation team kind of expanded on that idea when they uh, wrote the the Japanese version of the card and the kanji that they ended up picking uh, was uh, the same Jun uh, meaning martyrdom, uh, but they they went with uh, the kanji meaning attain for G uh, instead of the original one that I went with, which is just a huge improvement because it means that this black dragon uh, that is uh, that has a death mechanic mm-hmm. is attain martyrdom, which is just just perfect. Like uh, one one of my favorite uh, sort of like naming rabbit holes that I went with. Um, so like I was very pleased with how that worked, and that's more or less how my process went where I would think of what kind of salient features existed within the character or within the faction for the faction names that I was working with. Mm -hmm. And to think, okay, what's the most important thing here? And that gives me uh, a kanji or a few kanji that are uh, candidates. And then from there, it's a matter of going, okay, what names can work with these kanji. Um, And sometimes I went with relatively straightforward ones. And sometimes I went with ones that were uh, less common. And in the case of uh, Himoto, which is not a card uh, yet, (laughs) hopefully, hopefully they'll, uh, hopefully they'll make uh, Himoto a card. Uh, But like uh, Himoto, the, uh, uh, tanuki, the Tanuki slash Kami slash uh, robot slash anything Kaito needs it to be, <laughs> uh, rather start needs her to be. Um, the the kanji I picked are totally unique. Like no no one no one spells uh, Himoto this way. Uh, but the he there is the kanji for spark. At, as in the planeswalker spark like it's <laughs> it's actually one of the two translations uh of spark in uh magic the gathering and then the moto there just means origin so like mm-hmm. the kami of the spark <laughs> is literally the origin of the spark on kamigawa and i'm like it's too on the nose i can't not do it this is not how anyone would spell uh himoto and i don't care because it's so perfect <laughs> and She's the Kami of the Spark. Like, who's going to tell her no? <laughs> right? That's amazing. 
Moving on to our next question. So, obviously, as we mentioned before, uh, there were some hurdles that had to be overcome regarding coming back to Kamigawa. And a lot of those applied Mm -hmm. directly to yourself and uh, the rest of the team that you were involved with. What would you say if you had if you had to pick just one as the largest obstacle, largest uh, problem to overcome in that regard? What would you say it was? Oh, um, <laughs> so this is um, a question that I I might not be equipped to answer because as a uh, as a contractor my visibility of what every team was doing uh, is pretty limited. Um, Like I can tell you that on like the creative uh, side of things, um, we were sort of just chugging along and uh, making things work. And like, I don't know that there's like an actual weakness or problem that was kind of like overriding, like, it the development time took a long time but we had a long time so um i don't know that that's so much a problem as it is just (laughs) uh what this set needed in order to be good and uh the project manager made sure that we had that time so that we could like start like years ago and make it work um so yeah like i I don't know a ton of what was happening on all of the teams just because I had uh, only, I don't know, like five or six people that I worked with on a regular basis. But like within that, um, yeah, no, we, we were doing a pretty solid job. I, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know that there's like uh, anything to, I don't know if there's any dirt to spill here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't looking for gossip. I just meant from a uh, cultural consultant perspective, uh, what the bigger challenge was as far as um, just adapting from the original sets now. But I, I can see, I can see your point on that. Yeah. Like um, basically, uh, kind of like an intrinsic pro- problem with uh, taking the set from where it was in the uh, original block and then t- uh, to uh, the Neon Dynasty block, uh, not block, just set. I wish it was a block, but it's, I don't think it's going to be. Me too. <laughs> uh, uh, but like that sort of translation effort, I think sort of the biggest obstacle in that regard uh, was simply that there was a lot of baggage tied up in the lore uh, because of like uh, it's how it was set and where it was. And so like um, as, as a game designer, like one of the problems that is often true is that you'll see something in Canon that you don't agree with or it's not correct or like there's some problem with it and you want to get rid of it. But the problem is that if you just 
like throw it throw it away it's going to cause other problems because usually that piece of cannon had other things attached to it uh, and so like there's always a matter of oh they they changed this they they broke cannon so now twitter needs to get angry uh they <laughs> They ruined Star Wars, uh, and like that—that's always a problem that exists when you're trying to like revisit uh, um, settings and uh, games that people uh, really like. Mm-hmm. And so, I think probably the smartest thing that happened, and like the way to just completely avoid that, is to go. This is thousands of years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> all of the canon that you're used to that was problematic and we didn't like it's fucking gone now like it it's the future i don't know what to tell you stuff changes throughout the course of history and like all the stuff that we didn't like is gone now they're they're all dead it's it's fine uh <laughs> and at the same time things that are good things that you like uh just just keep them it's it's fine they'll find a way to uh come back somewhere or another uh, for example, the uh, uh, Okiba, so uh, Nezubi gang, the, the rat people gang, mm-hmm. uh, like before they're this kind of like, I don't want to say tribal, but like close knit uh, community that has uh, sort of their own thing going, their, their own culture, their own uh, way of interacting with the world of Kamigawa and the Okiba uh, of course came back as the Okiba uh, reckoners. Uh, So like you, you have this group of uh, kind of like uh, scrappy rat people that existed in the past. And they're like, there's these uh, 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 warriors uh, who were sort of like fighting for, uh, their own survival and uh, relevance. And then that's been updated to essentially a gang fighting the same the same kind of battles, uh, but wearing badass uh, black leather with neon uh, paint uh, coats, which, like, that's a solid translation. <laughs> yeah, the Okiba looked pretty, uh, pretty fierce this go-around. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 Okiba, they they Okiba uh, reckoners, they they just look so much cooler than they used to. I mean, and oh, like, <laughs> there's always like this um, sort of uh, the hell pitfall to fall into for like people like frequently when they're bringing in animal races to just be like, let's let's make them like this animal, but cute, and it's like. You, you can do that to some extent, but like you have to recognize that like there are cute humans and there are not cute humans. And like, there's like this spectrum that exists. And so like, <laughs> if you're bringing in uh, an animal race, you should also make space for them to have cute members and maybe not so cute members. And like, there's a wide variety of personalities and like character types that like you can, uh, represent with this and just from like a world building perspective creating that space is so powerful because it 
means that you can represent many different types of people instead of just making it a stereotype. So like up, updating the Okiba uh, to the Okiba Reckoners, I'm, I had very little to do with that, but uh, I'm really happy that uh, they, <laughs> they accomplished it. All right. Uh, pretty much just one more question. There were a lot of small details and deep cuts from just Japanese history and uh I, don't, I hesitate to use the term, but I'm not sure what the replacement term would be, folklore, that really, that made an appearance in Neon Dynasty that really lent itself to the world building. Uh, for example, the best dog in all of the multiverse, um, <laughs> which also the saddest dog in all the multiverse, but... Um, yeah. How, uh, that's so heartbreaking. Um, how much deep dive research or work was involved with with your team as far as bringing that to life within the set i know you said you've got a very niche aspect of historical experience but as far as the whole team goes how much deep digging was there for that um i don't know that we had to go digging uh for uh cool things to put in uh, i think a lot of folks had uh that kind of information just like kind of on tap uh so like uh uh james mendez holders uh he's he's got i can't remember if he has a bachelor or if he has a master's in uh, uh japanese restation studies but like he's well well versed well well versed um, which is why he has a better <laughs> a better foundation of a knowledge for uh, Sengoku Jidai and uh, Edo Jidai. Because, like, I'm not bad. He's really good. <laughs> um, and so, like, I don't I don't think that we had to go digging for deep dives. I think that information was just sort of there, and it was just sort of a matter of um, having an outlet for it, and then also having uh somewhere to put it in the set because uh there's a lot of stuff and like there's i mean there's what like 300 some odd cards and like i i guarantee you <laughs> there's at least <laughs> that many ideas that uh are on the cutting room floor cuz like it's it's a matter of like distilling uh the information and inspirations uh that exist uh and like making that work um so like and and like some some amount of research is also a part of that but like uh at least for me specifically like um that that research was mainly just to be like this looks weird why does it look weird and then like uh doing a little digging to be like oh that's why that looks weird. Cause like, uh, I, I was, uh, part of the team that like, uh, specifically worked on like, uh, Kaito's look. Uh, and like, I remember like criticizing the rope that his, he was using as a belt. I'm like, 
the belt doesn't look right. And I'm like that that's like the level of of detail that we just sort of have on hand. Uh I did have to like look up why it didn't look right to me and like use that to explain things, but like uh like that's that's just sort of the uh um burden and blessing of cultural consultants. <laughs> uh, we, we generally know a lot and we're kind of like professionals at being bothered by something <laughs> uh, with like the idea of being like, Hey, we, we need to be bothered by things so that we can like react, recognize when something doesn't work or isn't uh, authentic and like then be able to articulate how to make it correct or how to make it uh, better. Uh, like there's actually uh, a different uh, game uh, based on Japanese culture uh, that I worked with for a different company where like uh, I, I, just criticized uh, one of the artists on like how the uh, kimono was was folded because left over right or right over left makes a pretty pretty big difference uh, in uh, like culturally because uh, uh, if, if the right side is on top then like that is uh, body prepared for a funeral uh, like that's that's no, that's not a kimono for a living person. So like, uh, it's, it's something that most people won't notice, but the people who notice it will be extremely bothered by. So it's one of the, the benefits of having a cultural consultants is, and like, yeah, I, yeah, to, I guess to it's like more succinctly answer. I don't think that we had to go very far for deep dives. I think we, I think we had plenty of um, uh, in important and interesting uh, aspects to add. It's just a matter of like fitting them in uh, or um, smoothing out uh, edges that uh, existed in like the early versions of things. All right, uh, that brings us pretty much to a close. Uh, where can our listeners find you if they would like to follow you or see the Twitter thread I mentioned firsthand? Um, I am at Hiromi Kota uh, on Twitter, uh, also on TikTok. Uh, my TikTok is not super active, but it's a more visual way to see uh, some of the things that I uh, talk about. Um, also on uh, hidomikota.com, uh, where I have like all of my credits and whatnot. And uh, depending on when this uh, gets released, uh, I would like to plug um, Cthulhu Awakens, uh, which is a tabletop RPG uh, by Green uh, uh, Green Ronin, uh, which is essentially an RPG that takes place in a nebulous time between the 1920s and the 2020s where there's cosmic horror going on. And we did a really good job of taking the 
problematic aspects of uh, the cosmic horror, like Lovecraft's blatant racism. And we threw all that stuff away and made it better. <laughs> uh, like madness doesn't exist. Like people don't go quote unquote crazy because they get exposed to otherworldly things. Uh, other things happen and those things are not good. You don't want them. Uh, but we're not representing mental illness in that way. Uh, that's on right. Kickstarter. <laughs> I want to say for the next month. Okay. Uh, this episode releases not this Friday, but the next Friday, which uh, I'm bad with dates. So that would be the 11th. Um, so uh, okay, you said it's yeah, going to be active. It'll still be for... running then. Okay. All right. Uh, what is the last day of that Kickstarter? Oh, uh, let me. Uh, March 24th. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that just about does it. Thank you again so much for joining me. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me, Nick. Absolutely. Uh, 